Circle of Birth podcast, reclaiming our birth potential with ancient wisdom and stories from birth and beyond, sharing the rich spectrum of family diversity and transformation, stories worldwide bringing together community and connectivity. Come together with story medicine and inspire at our unique birth journeys. We breathe, we birth, we become episode 40 and it's been over a year now and I must say that I am quite thrilled that I have managed to source 40 of the most transformative journeys of birth and beyond and this episode 40 is definitely that. I am sure many have heard the name Angela Gallo and she is bringing change to light and using that secret love potion to throw on all those to see the beautiful transformative nature of birth and this certainly does not mean a natural birth with Tibetan monks in the sacred temple in the mountains. This is birth wherever, whenever it all comes from within. So this podcast, we delve right into the journey of Angela. We talk about her life, changing births, how she navigated and what lessons came from this. We talk birth workers, midwifery, photography, Mexico and then more. So climb aboard for this inspiring episode and see the story behind the woman that is exceeding herself to change the way we perceive and act upon birth and maternity care. Enjoy. And don't forget to check out the website for more uh, of amazing images, my write-up of the story for all you people who like to read, and more amazing podcasts. And help the show grow by going to circleofbirth.com slash donate. Hi, Angela. Welcome, welcome so much to the Circle of Birth. Um, I am very deeply honoured um, that you are joining us today, sitting in your car, um, <laughs> coming from a secret location in Melbourne. The honour is all mine. Thank you so much for having me. It is not as um, exotic as you make it sound. I'm just in the car to escape the noise from outside. <laughs> but thank you for having me. Well, it's coming across loud and clear. And I would just love to delve into your journey as to where you are today, the womb warrior goddess you are. Um, oh, wow. What serving a serving many people in their journeys. I'm sure you've changed and helped a lot of people in their own journeys. So. Thanks. Um, let's start with you and I'm sure that so many people would love to hear how you transformed and how birth shaped you so um, tell us your story start sure where to start the rebirth the physical birth of my children uh, or the birth of myself it is a big tale and it is a layered onion so we'll start in regards to where I am now career-wise Personally, um, it all ties into the birth of my first child, my daughter, Ruby J, who was born um, four years ago. It was just her birthday two days ago. And everything for me in the, the birth sphere, the, you know, my love of all things childbirth and, and birth activism and feminism and everything else really, truly start when I was pregnant with Ruby. Now, prior to being pregnant with her, I say this a lot, you know, in, in other interviews, but I really, truly had no interest in having children or being married. Uh, I was always a very maternal type. I spent a lot of my time nurturing animals. So I've always kind of volunteered in animal welfare, uh, loved babysitting, loved caring for other children. But I'm a fiercely independent and mobile creature, and I couldn't see how children would fit into that. And so when I met my husband, um, it kind of just happened. 
And I was forced to reassess everything, as most, you know, mothers can attest to. It was more of a, a, whoa, who am I? What do I want? What do I want to do? Where do I want to be? I did not plan for this. Before that came up, what was your perceptions of birth? Did you have family or did you have a good... Built. Nothing. Very good question. I actually had zero experience none of my family you know bless my mom and my, my grandmother and stuff but they just never spoke to me about birth never spoke to me about breastfeeding I actually never experienced or heard of anything uh you know quite close to me in that area until I had my own children so it's you know I never even read a book on it I never did research it just it never was on my radar so when I truly say that what I'm doing now was alien to me four years ago I'm not exaggerating um, I'm not the same person at all. I wasn't even living the same life. So when I became pregnant, this was kind of, uh, you know, wow, like, whoa, what is going on? And there was this really deep curiosity and, and interest and the instinct in me and all of these characteristics and traits that started to bubble to the surface that I didn't know really exist. And so you can really say that my rebirth, my rebirth started in the pregnancy process with Ruby. I was just so humbled and fascinated by what was happening in my body. Truly, I woke up every day and despite the nausea and the the insomnia and the aches and the pains, I could not wrap my head around the fact that I loved a little person so much, someone that I'd never seen, someone that I've never smelt or touched or anything, how much, how connected I felt to her, how humbled I was by the process, uh, you know, I just, it just blew my mind. Now, the, the reason that I kind of got into the whole doula thing is that my husband was working away at the time. And FIFO, I don't know if anybody knows what that is, essentially, it means fly in, fly out. So he would be gone for four weeks at a time working, and then home for one. And so I wasn't actually sure if he was going to be around for the birth. Uh, we had no family around. And so the best um, thing that I could do was Google birth support person. And that's how I found out about doulas. And I found a doula and she was just my lifeline during the entire process. She made me even more fascinated by what was going on. She gave me resources, you know, um, pregnancy hacks. She made me feel heard. She made me feel supported. She helped me navigate this maternal care model that I, you know, I just had no idea what I was doing. This was totally foreign to me. And so her support was just absolutely priceless. Her name was Sarah Stogren. And I, from here, you know, became in the third trimester even more obsessed with what was going on. I felt really, really connected to Ruby in the womb. I was becoming so impatient. I just wanted to meet her. Um, This is kind of where the story begins. So into the birth, if you want me to kind of start talking about the birth right away. Yes, yes, go for it. Uh, around 41, no, 40, 40, 40 weeks in a, and five days, I went into spontaneous labor with Ruby. However, um, it was a long one. It was a very, very long one. So roughly about 45 hours and, and bless my doula and my stepmom at the time for, for being there for me. I see in hindsight um, how intensely medicalized that entire birth was. However, at the time, I still felt really respected, really supported. Um, you know, it was very intense. It was a very long labor. And probably around the 35-hour mark, 
I decided that I wanted an epidural um, because I could no longer function. I was exhausted. I needed that at that stage in time. And I was really grateful that was there. But when, and this is really interesting to me because I now, you know, I advocate so fiercely for um, a birth where women are really consciously birthing, actively birthing. But even when I look back, I look at it and see how incredibly transformative that whole experience was and how after 45 hours, I well and truly felt like the phoenix rising from the ashes. And so even though it was super medicalized and super challenging and really freaking intense, I can remember so vividly Ruby being born after three hours of of pushing and seeing her face and touching her head as she was emerging. And I felt literally the shell of my past just come off of me and you know the shackles of every worry I've ever had and the shackles of every you know concern I had for the future and every idea I had of myself and any preconceived notion literally just fell apart in that moment and seeing her for the first time and touching her was just the pivot on which my entire life has um followed on from you know And it makes me cry thinking about it because that's how wild it was in that specific moment. And I remember actually my obstetrician saying that that was just one of the most beautiful births that she's ever been to because I looked like I genuinely wanted to be there. I I loved her from the moment I conceived her and I loved her a hundred times more the moment she was born. So that was a really special experience for my husband and I. Now riding that wave and that high for weeks and weeks and weeks, I couldn't shake the the idea of Sarah, my doula, and how much she did for me, and you know how different my birth would have been without her. And I just found myself googling doula, doula constantly, you know. And then that turned into how do I train to become a doula? I was worried that I was only interested in this only because of the novelty and the endorphins and the rush following the birth. And so I waited. <laughs> I waited a while before making any drastic moves because I thought, no, come on, and surely, you know, this is, do you really want to do this? This is pretty intense. And who are you? And I had really bad fraud syndrome and imposter syndrome, as you, I'm sure Ali, you've had in, in your life as a business owner too. Why should anybody take me seriously? I've just had one baby. I don't know anything. And so I kind of just waited and waited. Meanwhile, simmering in this obsession with birth, <laughs> like months and months and months, just it's all I could do reading, writing, you know, listening to people's stories, rehashing my own experience in my, my, my head over and over and over again. I mean, I couldn't believe the place that I went to in labor, this kind of this underworld slash parallel dimension where I was pushed to the physical brinks of my, you know, limits, my personal limits. And I came back from that unscathed and better than before. And I'm like, fuck, I need to relive this over and over again. If it is the last thing I do, I want to do this for women. I want to do what what Sarah did for me. So finally, after talking about it for ages, I said, damn it, I'm just going to do the training. I'm just going to do it. What's the worst case scenario? I do it. I hate it. And, you know, I stop. And I did in-person training. I did that for a week in in Western Australia. And literally, the rest is history. (laughs) It has not stopped since then. Um, It certainly hasn't. It's just accelerated. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. So when you were in that discovery mode, were were you finding that it was opening up into, like you said, this experience that you had and what you felt and that true sort of psychedelic nature of what birth can bring 
were you tracing the research that you were doing, the stories you were reading and hearing that people weren't achieving this? Is that what drove you even further? Into oh, God, yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, absolutely. You nailed it. I think that there was so many connect the dots happening in my brain and in my heart and seeing, okay, so, you know, I've done this. And even though I had a really kind of intense hospital birth, I still felt this level of transformation. You know, I never even knew what birth trauma was until I did all that research and I started learning about things and cross comparing and referencing and saying, whoa, why is this happening? What's going on? You know, what are these gaps? What needs to happen to fill those gaps? What can I do to help women achieve these experiences? And yeah, you're absolutely right. That's exactly what happened. And I think that's what fueled me even further. I wanted, you know, and this is this was kind of my logic at the time is I felt so powerful and capable after birth, right? And we're not talking about parenthood, which which brought me to my knees, but let's say birth. I felt so powerful and so strong afterwards and so capable. And I thought, man, I feel, and you, and often, you know, birthing women say this, but I felt like I could literally do anything. Like I could skydive. I could, I could do anything because I had birth. And I thought, imagine if every birthing woman on this planet left her birth experience feeling that motivated, empowered, strong, capable, confident. Imagine what that confidence would do to societal structure how that would ripple out into the rest of the world, how it would affect her children, her family. And that's kind of what motivated me. I mean, this is what essentially happened to me. I remember just moments after my second birth, making that correlation with death and going, people should be allowed to die like this. Like I remember oh, just you're looking so up in the sky and like, this is how we should be allowed to die. Like feeling safe, supported, nurtured, ready to go on your journey. And as with birth and death, we should all have that feeling into that you're so right basically the big thing for me was as well coming back to what you said about mortality and the way we live and the way we birth and the way we die I did the exact same thing as you um this kind of realization how everything comes in together and that full circle moment and I you know again I think that's going to encourage me to explore more um of how I want to work full spectrum doula work and how I'd really love to be in that process in, in, you know, being a death doula or being a bereavement doula, because it very much is the exact same thing. And people really do truly deserve that level of support and love uh, and whatever chapter they are in their lives. And really important too. I love what you mentioned before about going through you and who am I in this? And, you know, do I deserve to be this? I think that's really important because that's just a natural process for us to have absolutely and because it is such a you know it is a it's a sacred space and I know it's such a cliche thing to say but it's such a sacred space and you think man who am I to be granted the privilege of seeing this person's face for the first time before before anybody else sees their face or or to see this woman at her most honest and vulnerable self and I think that's certainly something that we all work through as birth workers um, because it is so deeply humbling, you know, it's, it's kind of a natural reaction to be like, like, why <laughs> yeah. should I even be here? Can I be? It's, it's an interesting reaction. Yeah. And I think it's important too, because it, yeah, like you said, it humbles you. So it's great that you can, you, you can see that because you don't want to work into a birth space going, oh, I've got this, you know, that'll be right. Or da, 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 da. And I always say that the moment I stop feeling humbled by birth, the moment I stop feeling fascinated the moment I stop crying in the birth space is the moment I shouldn't be doing this work anymore because each and every person 
I work with, although I'm providing like a boutique service and a premium service, they deserve my, my, yeah, they deserve the best reaction, the best energy, the best that I can possibly offer. And I want to be wholeheartedly enthusiastic in the birth space each and every single time, because that moment deserves that. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's just the true essence of holding space. That's beautiful. Love it. I'm a little bit of a sap. (laughs) (laughs) So take us back. So you've, you've done your doula training. Your children are not too far apart in age, are they? Two years, yeah, two so years. it's going to yeah. be two soon as well. You've got Ruby, you've done your doula training. Walk us through what it was like to have your first doula job. Yeah. And how that was um, being a mother of a young baby too. Interesting, challenging. My husband was still working away. Um, so as you can imagine, I, you know, was a, a new mum trying to kind of whew, settle into my role and figure out the dynamic of being a parent, let alone, um, you know, I was alone 98% of the time. So I had a babysitter that I relied on if I needed to get called out. And I kind of just wanted to set up the structure so that I could kind of support this new career. The big thing for me, I've got to tell you, is after I've done the training or after I did my doula training, um, I really, truly felt under-supported I felt under-resourced and I kind of felt led down by the doula community in general. And that's a huge part why I went on to create a program um, to help alleviate that. Uh, I felt that the, the general idea was that, you know, you became a doula and then, for example, 10, 10 people in the training, nine people don't make it past the first year, right? Because they have no childcare. They don't know how to manage a new business. They don't know how to manage this, you know, the, the erratic, spontaneous, unpredictable nature of being a birth worker. And that's exactly how I felt. But I loved the work so much. And I thought, okay, how am I going to make this work for me? I've got to make this work. I can't imagine myself doing anything else. So I basically spent the first two years trying to nut out, <laughs> some you know a schedule or some kind of structure that worked for me so that I could pursue this passion and make my life calling you know truly this this career for myself and it was really really challenging I almost quit a number of times uh I wasn't as confident as I am now I witnessed a lot of abuse and a lot of things that happened in the birth space that make me made me depressed for lack of better words um, many times I felt defeated. Many times I worried if, you know, one girl could actually make any difference. If I could, you know, would I even be able to help anyone? The system is so broken. How am I going to do this? And so, you know, Ali, it's been a really interesting few years. And the, the first two years doing this were particularly difficult. Yeah. And I could imagine tolling on the family unit too yeah it is and I think you know my husband and I are are, um, in the process of a trial separation and I often wonder if this career has cost me um, you know a fraction of my marriage and and my family life because I don't think people understand how taxing it is um, to 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 do this kind of work and obviously I love it with all my heart and, and that's just what it is and I would choose it any day of the week um, but it certainly is 
difficult to find the right support so that I can be the best mom that I can be and be the best business owner and be the best partner. It's challenging for sure. I really can correlate. We, you know, my partner and I with our relationship have had this come up in a really big sense and trying to explain that this work, it's more along the lines of, you know, you're not fully present I thought you need to be here for your family first. Yeah. I'm trying to explain that this work is is for humanity. You know, it's healing, yeah. uh, which is going to flow to the family. You want to be the best at this because yeah. you want to do it for humanity and, and which extends your family. But it's not different because how do you explain to someone that you love that who doesn't necessarily understand why this work is so important to you or doesn't necessarily have the same values or um, have the same interests and is invested in philanthropy or improving humanity by birth. How do you explain that? So that's been a tough nut to crack. It's like, hey, this is really important to me, but it's not important to you. Um, How do we make that work? Uh, And I think as well, even finding finding the right support for your children is, God, that has been a nightmare, an absolute nightmare, just trying to find an au pair or trying to find a nanny or trying to find a reliable babysitter. And I think one thing you said that really resonated with me about it's almost impossible to be fully present with your family, with your friends, when a third of your brain is thinking about your clients and is at the ready to drop everything to go support them. So for for me, who's been trying to consciously cultivate this mindfulness and this presence and being engaged with the people I love, that's been an interesting challenge. Mm. Maybe we need to work on that together and delve up some kind of um, sort of support network for relationships. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, look, we have um, a Facebook group in the program and I would pretty much have lost my mind if I didn't have these girls. But you'd be surprised how many birth workers are in this exact same situation. And I think it's not even, there's, there's a, so much complexity to this work. But I do think that, that having that support and that community and having that tribe of people who just validates your concerns and your fears and, and supports you um, as you make sense of this and as you support your clients, I, I just wouldn't be anywhere without it. It yeah. means so much to me. Yeah, and essentially that's it. It's the support. It always goes back to support, just like in birth. You feel different when you're supported, mm-hmm. just like doing birth yeah. work. If you're supported by other doulas, mentors, um, midwives, all all the spectrum of people, things are going to look so much different. Um, and it's just that yeah. tribal sense that we're trying to achieve. And this is what you're pulling together with the work that you're yeah. doing, which is so important. It's bringing people together. Um, exactly. And then the relationships are going to be easier, the, the management of hanging out with the kids and making space for this and because you got that support around you. I mean, that's what I want to. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I think that supportive birth workers make better birth workers and better birth workers get better outcomes and experiences for the families they serve. So it's pretty logical to me um, how critically necessary it is to have, you know, doulas, midwives, birth photographers, childbirth educators, whoever is working in this sphere, they need to be adequately supported. There needs to be community. There needs to be resources for them um, so that they don't burn out, so that they don't lose their marriages, so that they don't, you know, deal with the, the guilt of, of non-present motherhood every day. It's, it's, it's hugely important. And as well, like the families that we're working with, the birthing families we're working with, they, de- they deserve the best version of us too. And so that's something that we, we should all be striving for constantly. Yeah, very well put. 
Thank you. <laughs> I'm just glad we spoke about that because it just gets my blood going all the time and it all just comes back to support. So I'm glad we could share that yeah. correlation together. Yeah. Mm. So, okay, um, let, lead us into your next pregnancy and how did that look like for you and how did you feel coming into it? Wild. <laughs> So, yeah, I first got pregnant uh, by, well, I don't like to say this by mistake, but it was an unplanned pregnancy, um, and funnily enough, had the same due date as Ruby, and I kind of panicked. I thought, oh, God, I don't know if I'm ready for another baby, like, whoa, I don't know, no, 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 like, especially with the career and everything else kind of picking up, and um, I went to the, the doctor and had an ultrasound, and there ended up being a hematoma, so it was a non-viable pregnancy. And I was a little bit devastated and I realized like, you know, my husband and I spoke and we're like, you know what, I think we do want another baby. And it's, it's interesting because you don't know you want another baby until you lose the baby and you think, wait a second, maybe there is another spot in this family. Maybe there is another piece to this puzzle. So I'm a very fertile myrtle <laughs> and it didn't take us long, literally, I don't know, a few days after I, I miscarried to get pregnant. Um, this is not even an exaggeration. And so we got pregnant right away and um, Odin only has about a four week um, or three or four week difference between Ruby's birthday. And I, from the moment I felt pregnant, I, I knew what kind of birth I wanted in my head. Like by this stage, I've been working for two years in birth. And so I was still relatively experienced or seasoned. And at the very minimum, I had the mindset that I needed to make this a killer birth, birth experience. The first thing I did was I set up my birth team um, and then in WA, and then we decided to move across the country and that threw a spanner in the works. So I had to find another, you know, an, kind of like a 35 weeks, find another place to birth, figure out what I was going to do. And there was no midwife available at that time, or I couldn't afford to get another midwife that late in the pregnancy. I live on the peninsula. I was living south on the peninsula at that time. And the closest midwives were in the city anyways. Um, and we're talking about, you know, five to $7,000. And it was just too short notice. I couldn't make that happen. So I started tossing up the idea of a free birth. And uh, I thought, well, you know, perhaps I'll go unassisted this time. And I, you know, found a doula, found a birth photographer, found everything. And I just thought, well, I'll book into the hospital and I'm just going to kind of take it as it comes. Whatever happens, happens. And I didn't want to put any pressure on myself to do either or. I just wanted to kind of make the decision that felt right on the day of. Uh, and going back to being a fiercely independent and mobile creature, I, I really didn't want to be in a high, highly medicalized birth this time. I wanted to be at home. I wanted to make sure that my body was functioning optimally. There was optimal hormone flow. I felt happy, I felt safe, and I knew that the only way I could do that is in my home. So at 41, over 41 weeks, um, you know, I lost my bloody show in the morning, and this was really exciting for me, really, really exciting for me. I was really looking forward to this birth. So I was super pumped, um, but I, you know, I knew better than to get too excited, so I just went into denial mode and kind of went about my day, hung out, we set everything up in the house, and probably within two hours, contractions really, really picked up. And there was no longer any denying it. I thought, oh, okay, maybe I should call Medulla. <laughs> she lives two hours away. Oh, maybe I should call Medulla now. 
So I call my doula Julie Bell from from Blissful Live. She's amazing, like a second mom to me. And she she's like, oh, okay. <gasps> Hopped in her car, made her way down, called my lovely birth photographer, Lacey Barrett. I said, oh, okay, yeah, I think I'm in labor. Actually, I'm pretty sure I'm in labor. Maybe you should come down. And by the time they got there, there was, you know, no, there was no denying that I was having a baby that day. And I was managing really, really well. Like I was, it was intense. I was loving the feeling. I just felt like an absolute rock star. Um, and then at around the nine centimeter mark, so nine centimeter, 10 centimeter transition stage, I started to freak out because that's really the only time it started to hurt per se. It was really, really, really intense. And I felt like, wow. And I remember saying something ridiculous. I looked at my doula and I said, this is borderline traumatic. You need to get me to a hospital. And I'm thinking now I look back at that and I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> Why did I even say that? So this is the typical crazy shit that comes out of a woman's mouth in transition, right? Like, I have no idea why I said that. I remember saying, get me the epidural, call the ambulance. Like, I just started to panic. So I thought, okay, I'm going to try and get in the water. The birth pool blew up. <laughs> and then the water came out of the birth pool and that set me into a bigger panic mode because now I didn't have the water to help me manage the pain. And so again, I said, okay, guys, call the ambulance. Um, and so they were like, Angela, are you sure? Are you sure? Are you sure? So I said, okay, I'm going to get into the shower first and see how I feel. At this stage, my husband already called the ambulance, um, which I'll talk about that in a second. Ended up, you know, in, in hindsight, it's the one thing I wish I didn't do because as soon as I got into the shower, I instantaneously felt better. The hot water on my back, um, I just felt like, okay, I've got this. This is intense, but I can do this. I've got this. And my husband was kind of holding my hands. And um, I used a lot of like self stimulation at this stage. So, um, clitoral stimulation to help manage the pain as well. I really got into the zone. And then, damn it, the ambulance showed up. Um, and they were intrusive, invasive, insensitive, like just totally shitty energy and not the energy that you want to have as you're about to push a baby out into the world. Mm. So I knew at that stage that I was about to have a baby at any second. I thought, oh, my God, I can't go in this ambulance. Like, I'm, I'm going to have a baby really, really, really soon. And they just were, they were incessant. You're coming with us. This isn't a safe place to have a baby. Um, you know, they honestly treating me like I was a criminal. And in fact, they, and I've never spoken about this before on an interview, but they actually hung around my house after I left and started interrogating my babysitter about what I was doing. Um, this was illegal, which it wasn't. Just like, you know, why my camera was set up. Really, really intrusive energy. And I, I think that one of the biggest reasons that I didn't free birth was my fear of being reprimanded for birthing the way I wanted to birth. And I see that in hindsight. And that is so sad. It's so sad that I couldn't have the birth I wanted to have because I was scared of my doula being prosecuted or my birth photographer being prosecuted or my child being denied a birth certificate because I decided to birth at home without any help. And I think that's where the panic and transition came from. I really like, you know, I've done some digging. I've looked at everything and that's where I think it's come from. Anyways, not to digress. So the ambulance came. They said, look, you need to get in. I was naked. And they said, you've got to get into the ambulance and you've got to get on your back. And I looked at him and I said, between contractions, buddy, if you think I'm going on my back right now, you have fucking lost your mind. That's not happening 
at all. And I had this kind of like argue. It was the most unnatural position I could be in at that stage. Because as you know, all I wanted to do was move around. There was no way I wanted to be on my back. So he, he cornered me in the ambulance and I, and I got up to get out of the ambulance. And I said, the only way I'm getting in this ambulance is if you let me go on all fours. And that's exactly what we did. So um, I got on all fours. My husband was in the front seat. And I remember pining for him, just pining for him and being so upset. This was a 45-minute drive to the hospital. And the ambulance driver told me, if you even show any signs of having a baby, we are stopping the ambulance and you're having the baby in here. And my first thought was, I will be damned if this is my birth story. Having an ambulance, uh, sorry, having a baby in an ambulance with these two jerks. <laughs> so I started, literally went into fight or flight mode and shut up shop between my legs and went into um, fake it mode. Like, just don't even show them that you're having any contractions. And believe me, the contractions were coming very hard. But I could remember the ambulance driver saying, he was on the phone to the hospital and saying, oh, no, her contractions are erratic. They're coming five to ten minutes apart. It'll probably be a few hours. And in my head, I'm going, <laughs> joke's on you, buddy. I'm five minutes away from having this baby, and I'm not having it in here with you. <laughs> so we got to the hospital, and I, and I know a lot of the midwives there. And as soon as I saw them, I felt instantaneously like, okay, I'm going to be fine. I'm going to be fine. I jump off of the bed. They leave, and I had Odin um, in, within 10 minutes. So just basically, I, I waited physically for my birth photographer and my doula to get there. They got there, and then I, I, have, I had him really, really shortly thereafter. So I'm not kidding you when I say that I physically did not allow my body to have a baby until I got to the hospital because I refused to have my baby in the ambulance with these guys. Um, and, and I kind of, you know, now see where transition was and how vulnerable I felt, uh, and how that was directly affected to how open my cervix was and all of these kinds of things. So I've done a lot of processing, but in general, I loved that birth experience. Even though there was a few hiccups, I felt just like, I can't believe I did that. You know, with Ruby's birth, I didn't really feel anything. Um, my epidural didn't really work, so half of my body was numb because it pulled to the left side, and half of it was not. So it was an interesting, conflicting pain. I couldn't push, hence the three-hour pushing. With Odin, literally, he dropped into my vagina, vaginal canal, and in two pushes, he torpedoed out of my body. So that was incredible. It was like popping the most satisfying pimple of your life and taking the best dump you've ever taken. That's the best experience. Like, the best way I can explain it, it was, like, ecstatic and satisfac satisfactory. And I remember, the you know, the water's breaking just as he, he came out. And I have these amazing images that Lacey, Lacey took where my husband and I are both pulling him onto our chest and feeling like, no freaking way. I can't believe I just did this. I can't believe it. I did it. And, you know, every woman has that self-doubt before they have a baby. Can I do this? Will I be able to do this? Is it going to be too hard? Am I too weak? And, you know, despite looking like I'm a confident person, I'm actually quite insecure. And there's a lot of things that came up in that pregnancy due to the first birth, you know, like, you know, am I, is it going to be too painful? Am I going to let myself down? Um, you know, am I, you know, a quack, what kind of doula is it going to make me if I have a crappy birth again? And all of these crazy thoughts that kind of raced through my mind. So after he came out, the feeling is undescribable. It was like, 
exactly like Ruby, except less kind of, I don't want to say less exciting, but, you know, there's nothing like your first birth or your first baby. So when he came out, I was kind of like, wow, this is amazing. And I just kept crying and saying, my baby, my baby, this is my baby. Um, And it was just so special. It was totally unhindered. So I had an amazing midwife who just watched, didn't do anything, um, let me do exactly what I wanted to do. The, you know, placenta and Bubba stayed attached for like two hours. You know, it was just, it was, it was a really amazing birth experience. And that then pushed me even harder to do what I do now. Like, okay, now I know this is possible. Now I know that these things are possible. How can I help women achieve that too? So that further fuels what I do. You're listening to the Circle of Birth podcast, circleofbirth.com. I just like feel that it's there's so many gifts and lessons into that story then um and I I just picture little Odin like working with you in that ambulance going all right I'll just hang out you know shut shop all right and then just torpedoing (laughs) out right at the last minute like woohoo yes let's go yes I did him like a little animated cartoon character. Yeah. That's exactly it. It's like he was just sitting there waiting to give him the go ahead. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. I was like, green light. And then as soon as I put the green light, he put the pedal to the metal and shot. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, freedom. So yeah, yeah that's basically the best description wow. I can give you. The power of birth. I mean, just showing how you can shut yourself off. Yeah, I'm not going to birth here with you shutting that down and then knowing when to open it back up again and the shower. The power is incredible. Just that change and that water and the flow and the energy and so many shifts and ups and like flows in that story. It was really beautiful and I just got a lot out of it. And one really good point which you made, which is really interesting that you could create a wider scope with this is when you are pregnant and taking in everyone else's perceptions even though they may not be true and like you said oh what will the doula think if I birth here or what will that do to the photographer and how will that affect that person and I feel that comes up a lot when people in their pregnancy go oh I don't wouldn't want to do that because that wouldn't be fair on you or you know that I don't think I could do that because the obstetrician wouldn't like it or the midwife would probably say yeah, yeah. that you do you think about all those things yeah yeah even if it's giving them stuff five seconds you really do you you start you know and it's a bit silly let's be honest because why and i always encourage women when we're talking about taking back your power and birthing on your own terms you know yeah okay give some space and give some time if that's what you want to think but how silly is it of us to get to to take these other things into consideration in that moment Mm. like why was I you know why was I thinking that why would I ever think that my doula would judge me you know I remember even in Ruby's birth thinking I wonder if she's judging me for having an epidural Mm. and that's actually a question I get asked a lot from my clients is will you judge me if I have an epidural and I think no never but in that moment I thought the same thing about Sarah you know um I think about what if, what if my birth isn't as pretty or as exciting as this other person's birth? Or, you know, what if my obstetrician thinks I'm annoying? Or what if they think I'm too loud? Like, just 
these aren't thoughts that are productive or conducive to an empowered birth experience, right? So as much as like I say, yeah, give space to that, I just think, why was I thinking that? Yeah. It just really sounds like that I, I really like the words of a mentor of mine, Jane Hardwick Collins. Um, you have the birth that you have in need to learn the lessons to teach you, you know, with mothering and being I love a person that. and I love that. It just seems that these experiences have just accelerated you into what you're doing now and you you've had that experience with it. I mean you've you've gone through it and come through it and taken on the gifts and lessons. Yeah. You know, you could have told that story in a traumatic way if you wanted to, but you didn't because we got the lessons from it. And it's got that nice cosmic sort of like you said, cartoon thing going on. It's like, do, 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 do. And um, when, you can, <laughs> when you can translate it into that sense, that's where the medicine comes from because, you know, I've gained... Bingo, I love that. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So tell me then, how was how things looking for you, like postpartum and, you know, you, ha- you obviously fueled with all this need to do this work and you got, you're a mama with two kids and, you know, the doula work. How did the that sort of shape for you into where you are now so that's yeah there's a there's a we're talking about medicine and and what I've experienced but after Odin was born um I spent so much time planning for his birth that I spent very little time planning for the postpartum period and uh, which is something I'm really passionate about now is spending just as much time planning for your postpartum period as you do planning for your birth because I felt I never thought I would have postpartum depression and I got it. I got it with Odin. Um, I didn't plan appropriately and I ended up feeling um, just devastated. I started to resent being a mom. I started resenting my partner. Uh, I hated being non-productive. I, I couldn't cope with the fatigue and also being a mom to a toddler, I felt like I had no help. I felt like nobody cared about me. And these are all really just kind of deep, dark thoughts that came truly from the fact that I did not have the postpartum period that I should, you know, and it all started with going home from the hospital right after the birth. I didn't stay there for the night. I came straight home and went into, which is no rest, by the way, I didn't sleep for about 48 hours. Uh, you know, rushing on adrenaline and taking care of my daughter. And there's just so many things I did wrong in the postpartum period, you know, not allowing myself to recover emotionally and physically and not asking for help because my pride got in the way and, you know, not letting myself feel all the feelings. It really did not serve me at all. And so I struggled big time for a few months. I felt lost in my own body. Um, I felt let down and I didn't know where these feelings were coming from. And, you know, whether it's home, hormonal or anything else. But um, my work actually, again, like, you know, saved my life. After three months, I thought, I don't want to feel this way anymore. What can I do to, to you know, feel better? What can I do to change things? Uh, and I had some very important conversations with my husband. I... Um, decided that I wanted to start working again because work made me happy. So after three months, I jumped right into it. And that literally saved my life and saved my sanity. And I came out of that dark, hazy, gray place 
uh, almost instantaneously. And I think that it's also in my personality to be busy and to constantly be doing things that make me feel passionate and alive. And unfortunately, well, not unfortunately, but for me, motherhood is not the ultimate fulfilling um, thing, right? Like I need to be a mother and I need to be a business owner and I need to be doing good. Um, so whether that's for the world or for people. And so that's what kind of like the puzzle pieces all came together after the three months. And that's when I came out of my postpartum depression. Um, you know, I lost like 40 kilos. I felt so much better. I was physically active again. Uh, I felt alive again. And so now that's kind of pushed me to really dedicate some time to professional development to support women in the postpartum period. Um, you know, I speak at length with my clients about how incredibly important it is to give yourself time in the postpartum period to ask for help, to set up a structure that supports you in the postpartum period. Um, I tell women like, yeah, right. Okay. Let's get you a great birth, but then what happens? So if you get a great birth experience and you don't take care of yourself in the postpartum, it's, it's all for nothing. Right. So it's, it's, they both go hand in hand. And I very much feel that as you transition from expected mom or laboring mom to a mother, it is such a delicate time and you need to make sure that you're marrying all of those chapters together because one can't work without the other. You can have, you know, a really crappy birth experience and a really crappy postpartum, or you can have a really crappy birth experience with a really great postpartum. You need to have a fulfilling, satisfactory, um, positive birth experience and the equivalent in the postpartum experience. And that's something that I've grown to be really, really passionate about. I don't know how you felt in your uh, postpartum period, uh, but that's something that I've come to learn. And it's pretty devastating to me to see, you know, levels of postpartum depression, of postpartum psychosis, uh, you know, fatigue, adrenal fatigue, women, you know, not finding the time to eat properly, bodies going into starvation mode, breastfeeding relationships becoming compromised, bonding becoming compromised because of that lack of support after they have a baby. And it's become really abundant to me that there is massive gaps after a woman has her baby and the way she's supported. And that's something that I definitely want to do some work in um, advocating for and changing in the future. Yeah, good point. Also, I can relate to that feeling of motherhood and completeness and we we sort of seem constructed in this society that when you're a mother you have to be completely whole to it and nothing else I mean that's just the way we're culturally trained here that um, you're a mother and that's it you can't have um, any other diversity that goes mm -hmm. within yourself and I still am learning to mother it doesn't it's the same feeling like it doesn't complete me as a whole person there's other things that drive me that I need to fulfill in my life to be a better mother and I I come from this like you know when my first birth my first pregnancy was coming from this like party going maiden that just had no interest in in that sort of side of things and I essentially had a love child which was beautiful and it was beautiful birth and experience and it taught me a lot of things but I just went from this maiden to motherhood like that without any any entry into it. And I'm still learning. Like, I'm still that maiden yeah. that wants to, like, go and have those decisions to be by myself or I don't know, call it what you will, but... 
<laughs> it's, I'm still learning that and it's okay. Like I've really had to come to that thing. It's like it, that's okay to feel that. It's okay to be that. I'm learning Absolutely. to be a mother. <laughs> and I think there's a societal thing where there's this um, idea pushed on everyone that, you know, there's a lot of people who believe this, like that traditionally women are exist exclusively to be a good wife and be a good mother and that they should be entirely satisfied with that role and that's that. Where, uh, whereas for myself, that is not how I feel whatsoever. Uh, I've met a lot of resistance over the last, well, let's say even a year and a half from other moms who feel the need to comment on how selfish I am for running a business while I have young children, um, how selfish I am for having a business and, you know, being a, a you know, being a, a less than amazing partner to my husband or all these ideas about, Oh, you should be, you should be entirely fulfilled just being a mother and you should be entirely fulfilled staying at home. And so uh, I come from a very traditional Italian household where that was very heavily pushed on me from a young age, like grow up, be a princess, marry, you know, marry, and that's your life. And from a very young age, I've kind of felt very androgynous. I felt a lot of kind of, raging feminine and masculine energy inside me. I've always been extremely ambitious. I've always needed, you know, a project, a passion project. And coming to that place where I'm comfortable being that person is has been a journey in itself. You know, being able to just be ambitious and and vocally say, hey, you know what? I love being a mom, but I'm not just a mom. Um, that's that's taken a lot of guts for me to do because it's all I've ever known. And I think a lot of women are in that situation. And it's been interesting because Instagram's allowing me the opportunity to connect to other women like me who are also really ambitious and who are also trying to break that stereotype that women can only be mothers and should only be mothers and they should just be happy being mothers. Um, and I've been really grateful for that. Yeah. Thank you. I'm one of those people too. <laughs> <laughs> I love my kids. I absolutely love them and I would do anything for them. But I really, truly think that being a, being a powerhouse and trying to do good and leading by example and inspiring them to be the brightest, you know, version of themselves is what's going to make me a great mother. And I know that if I'm beaming at my highest frequency and I'm living my most vibrant life, that's in, you know, organically going to affect my children in a big way happy life that's exactly what it is like happy mom happy kids that's the big thing and I don't want to be I don't want to be one of those moms who's dark and feels squashed and ends up presenting her children and is always screaming and in a bad mood because she's not beaming like she's not happy and that's not what I'm interested in I want to be a stellar person and I know that's going to make me a stellar mom and so that's what I make a focus right now yeah good point yeah uh you know to, to be your authentic true self and to have that space to do that um I mean that's what counts because like you said the kids will organically see that and grow into that for themselves knowing that oh, mother, just, yeah. 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 yeah and I think and you I'm sure you can can relate to this as well in this kind of the, the birthing and, and parenthood process, I get so excited sometimes that, you know, hopefully that what I'm doing is going to one day inspire my kids to birth and parenthood in a really authentic and powerful way. 
that really, really excites me. And so I try and I try and make a very active effort every single day to lead by example and be my biggest, boldest self, whether that's in the birth space where, you know, Ruby was my little doula. She watched me birth the whole time. She was seeing me roar and scream and cry and move. And it was so important for me to have her there because I was leading by example. I was taking the fear out of the equation and I was planting the seed so that when she's older, she can feel unafraid and she can feel empowered and she can feel positive if she chooses to have children. And that's exactly how I try to parent. And that's exactly the kind of woman I'm trying to be so that when they grow up, they're like, my mom did everything she wanted to do. She lived passionately. She, she, you know, she's a vivacious character. I want to do that too. That's exactly what I'm aiming to do. Mm. I did a recording with, um, you might know, Jenny Blythe. Yes, yes. Yeah, so we talked about this exact thing. So her daughter's in her 30s now and we talked about that feeling because she was there for her daughter's birth. And she said it wasn't the birth that was the best moment for her that completely shaped her. It was her pulling up in the driveway and seeing her daughter holding her grandchild. Just completely, that was it. Like that was the moment that was like, this is why... (laughs) And that's what I want to see with my children too. To to, I think. Oh my gosh, it makes me cry thinking about it. Yeah, and that's it. I mean, birth is transformative. It's one of the biggest transformative moments in your life, but it's not the only one. But if we can get that right and see these kids knowing that this is what birth is, yeah, yeah. Just touch lightly. You had an experience in Mexico. Travelled off for a few years. What was what was that like for you guys? In terms of, did you connect with other doulas, birth workers, midwives? Yeah, so I've, I've been I've been travelling on and off since 2010. Um, it's always something that I've I it has been a part of my life. I mean, I have a luggage piece of luggage tattooed on my foot, you know, to to signify that travelling keeps me grounded. I think that the best learning experiences come uh, with travel and seeing different cultures and different languages. And, you know, I speak a few languages. It's just something that I didn't want to lose after having children. And so I've always made that an important bit. And so we last year we spent um, a lot of time, you know, traveling around Canada and America and Mexico. And my goal was to, as part of a sustainable business model, I, I take a break for a few months out of the year every year. And that's really, really important for me so that I don't resent my work and that I spend some time off call and I focus on bettering myself and, you know, kind of like spiritual involvement and things. And so I thought, oh, let's go to Mexico. Um, I'll try and connect with some people there. And I did. I ended up meeting some amazing birth workers. One of them really had a lasting impression on me, which was um, Alison Bastien. She has been a you know a midwife for a very long time. She also runs a store, um, La Victoriana, there. And my biggest thing was learning Spanish, A, um, because I really want to learn traditional midwifery in Mexico and probably next year or the year after. But mostly just to get away, refocus, reassess what's important for me as a doula, what I'm trying to achieve, work on my business and and move forward. So I loved Mexico. I thought it was absolutely incredible uh, amazing baby wearing community, believe it or not, uh, which was like really, really, really awesome. Getting to meet a bunch of really cool people, but for me, it was having the time out to nurture myself. That was the biggest, biggest part for me. And so every year, um, I want to go away for for three months to do that, uh, just for myself. 
But, you know, I have a trip that I'm trying to raise money for at end of September to go to a birth house in Uganda and document my entire experience. So I'm trying to do that. Um, I, I want to, you know, open a birth oasis in a variety of different places in Mexico, Southeast Asia. So I have a lot of big ambitions and they all revolve around living in Australia and being somewhere part time and setting up these opportunities where I can impact birth culture in different places around the world. And what does a typical birth look like in Mexico? It just depends. Um, I, I hate to say this, but it's kind of been dampered in specific areas. So, you know, okay, so in terms of socioeconomic stuff, in Mexico you can have billionaires living in one square mile and then the next square mile everybody's, you know, desperately poor. Um, you have one hospital in one area in a major city and then people with access to no maternal care in another place. So I can give you a broad answer. Um, specifically where I went, traditional midwifery has been pummeled out um, by the system and the government, much like many places like Australia and everywhere else. So that was really, really sad to see. And I quickly noticed that if I wanted to experience that kind of traditional midwifery, I'd have to go out in the sticks um, because there's a lot of fear-mongering and smear campaigns about midwives. A lot of the elderly midwives who had been doing and serving women for, you know, decades and decades uh, all died off and the traditions died with them. And that was very, very sad to see. So a typical birth, unfortunately, is a cesarean. Um, there's a really, really high cesarean rate where I was. And that was very, very sad to see. Cesarean seems to be like the civilized, rich uh, rich person option and a lot of people opt for it only because of that um, so it was really conflicting to me it's like I wanted to enjoy my time there but I felt like wow this is a yet another broken system that I have to navigate and that was a bit sad for me so we'll see in the next time the area that I go in I'm, I'm just trying to source the right kind of midwife that I'd like to mentor with. Mm, sounds good and so just heading back to Australia I'll just ask you What's your thoughts on the state of the midwifery um, situation in Australia and how do you think it's sad. as a doula, how it's do you think sad. the doula or a birth worker, they can help create a voice to, to help this change? Where do I start, Ali? Yeah, okay, that's so probably another podcast. <laughs> <laughs> this would literally be another four-hour podcast. <laughs> I'll, I'll try and break it down in such a way that I don't uh, bore everybody with my, my ranting. But I think that Australia, um, again, this is a big country and things change so much from, from state to state, area to area. But midwives are much different than medwives, right? So medical midwives. Um, and so I want to start off by saying that in general, midwifery is being threatened in a really, really big way in this country. And it makes me feel really, really uncomfortable. Um, so midwifery out of the hospital is being threatened by insurance policies. It's being threatened by insurance in general. It's being threatened by red tape and politics and uh, the economic of, of modern birth culture. And I think that if we want to change things for the better and get women the, the, the best options in childbirth possible and get them all having traditional midwifery as an option is going to take a hell of a fight, one of which I'm not going to back down from. 
but I, I feel like it's, you know, there's people who've been fighting for this for the last few years. There's midwives who have been championing for, you know, the healthcare and, and, and better maternal care who are being squashed and being demonized and being prosecuted. And so it's a, it's kind of a scary place to be at the moment. There's doulas who are being threatened in the same ways. And I don't want it to seem daunting, but there's a lot of work that needs to be done. And at the end of the day, the only way that women are truly going to get the options in maternal care that they need and they desire is if the consumers make enough noise. And so right now, my biggest concern is using my social media space as a level of activism to inspire uh, expectant mothers and birthing people all around the world to make more noise and demand more and demand better because that's how the change is going to happen. And, you know, I can say that I can I see small positive things happening and that's what keeps me going. You know, it's little little changes in protocols and little changes in, in hospital policies and small changes in, in, you know, the staff's attitude and a little bit more open mindedness. And that encourages me that things are going the right way. I think that ultimately, you know, we're looking at, at you know, hospitals that are understaffed and, uh, you know, hospital protocol and policies that are being dictated by insurance, you know, the ticks on an insurance list. And we're talking about um, outdated practices and, uh, you know, training for obstetrics and things that need to be updated as well. And there's a lot of things happening and this is a really big onion and all these layers that that have to be kind of addressed. Um, But at the end of the day, I mean, am I feeling encouraged? Am I feeling positive? Do I feel like things can change? Yes. But I do know that in the background, there's doulas and midwives and people who have been fighting nonstop for the last 20 years for things to change. The, the biggest thing now is I feel that because of social media and because of this digital connectedness, we have the opportunity to use our voices collectively and to ask for more and to ask for that change. That's what excites me. And so that's what I'm focusing on right now. Mm, consumer and that is it's the consumer that needs to get that voice to be entirely consumer driven yeah exactly and it's a very big illusion that that you have choices in childbirth in australia a very big illusion and illusion is the biggest best word that i can use because a lot of people believe they have choices but they don't there's so many constraints there's so many boxes there's so many rules there is just so much noise and nonsense surrounding birth, uh, despite the fact that pregnant women and birthing women are often the healthiest people in the hospital. Uh, there's a lot of work that needs to be done, and there's a lot of things that need to happen. Um, and I think it can if everyone gets together and if everyone is willing to work hard for it. And I certainly know, and I know this, and I'm sure you know, that there's a lot of people who are passionate about the same things we're passionate about. So that makes me happy. Mm. And so you would be seen as a bit of a leader in having that channeling to extend that voice for people for people to have the courage I feel you've got a good platform for that who inspires you currently who's your um I just think because I don't see myself as a leader as well so I really appreciate you saying that who inspires me a lot of people inspire me the the doulas that I work with the birth workers that I work with the the hearts that I come across, the passion that I get to see, taste, feel on a daily basis from all of these people around the world. Who inspires me? Um, to be honest, my biggest inspiration is the pain 
of a common the common voice of women who are being hurt or disappointed in the birth space. That's actually my biggest inspiration. So every time I get a message or a comment about someone who's who feels hurt or traumatized or stressed or overwhelmed about what they're experiencing or what they've experienced, that inspires me to push harder, um, to be more clever about my work and to use my voice in a bigger way because I do do really truly believe that I can change things and we can change things and that's what inspires me it's thinking how can I or what can I do to make sure that my children if they do decide to have children one day will be a hundred percent unequivocally supported loved and respected what can I do to make that happen now what seeds can I plant how will this tree grow what can I do to make that happen? And that's where I get my, inspir- my inspiration from. Beautiful. Thank you so much. I've, this has just been an absolute pleasure to spend this. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me and for letting me talk about things that I love so much. Yeah, yeah. I feel like we really flowed with the conversation. It went quite well and I was just, yeah, big honour to have you. Um, just, Thank you, Alice. Just tell us quickly before we wrap it up. How can people connect with your work? I know the Dollar Photography, which is amazing, Heart and Hustle, uh, online programs. Give us a little wrap-up of what you do. Sure. So there's a a, a, um, myriad of different ways that people can work directly with me. So if you are uh, local to the Melbourne or Mornington Peninsula area, you can hire me as your doula, as your birth photographer, as your birth bestie, whatever it is you want to do, you can do that by finding me at AngelaGallo.com. If you are a birth worker, a maternal or perinatal professional who's looking for a unique, intimate learning experience, uh, you know, a community to help you set up a business that's sustainable and thriving, and you're looking for ways to amalgamate passion and profit, and you know, you just need that help and that extra support, that's where Hard and Hustle comes in. So I developed a program over the last two years um, to help elevate our industry, create a better standard. Uh, which, again, like I said before, is going to affect the people we serve. And you can find out more about that at businessforbirthnerds.com. Again, that's businessforbirthnerds.com. And as the title suggests, I'm all about working with trailblazers, birth nerds, um, people who are passionate about the same things I'm passionate about. Beautiful. Thank you. (laughs) My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me, Ali. I hope that this little chat inspires the people who listen to um, be their brightest selves and create the best birth possible for them and I really appreciate the work you're doing in the community as well so thank you for being you Yay! Awesome. did this episode tickle your heart move and rattle you in its wisdom I hope you resonated with the show please head over to the website circleofbirth.com for show notes including my personalised take on the episode pictures, resources and how you can connect with a storyteller. Sign up to the newsletter and most importantly, please help this show grow to its full potential of serving you in its ancient wisdom. Donations made easy via PayPal. All donations will be received with love. Head to circleofbirth.com slash donate. And yes, I'd love an iTunes rating. This has been another episode of the Birth Share Project. We breathe, we birth. We become. We honor you and empower.